This is Cyber Defense Radio with your host and cybersecurity expert, Gary Malefsky. Gary brings to you another globally recognized cybersecurity executive in the hot seat today. And I'm really excited today to have Peter Morgan, the president and co-founder of Phylum, P-H-Y-L-U-M dot I-O, the software supply chain cybersecurity company sitting in my hot seat today. Peter, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Gary. Now, you and I were talking about source code. Well, this is exciting to me because everything we run has some software in it. You know, the Internet of Things, the uh, LG refrigerator that might be used as a blood bank at a hospital. Now Amtrak's train scheduling engine and moving tracks, uh, the electric grid, you know, the, the water companies from critical infrastructure to the ring doorbell. Somebody wrote some code and they didn't want to write it all themselves, did they? That's correct. We've gotten into this space where open source has kind of permeated everything we touch. And in a lot of ways, it's wonderful because we're able to take pre-built libraries that solve a function and we can stand on top of them. But in that vein, um, you could say a lot of the software we're writing isn't just written, it's assembled. By using these Lego blocks of open source libraries, um, it allows us to move the needle on how fast we release software so much faster than it was in the past. Unfortunately, we're using these in ways that we didn't really predict before. And the dependency graph for a given piece of software has gotten to the point where it's extremely difficult for a human to actually reason about what it is they're relying on. So Peter, you came up with something which reminds me of like looking at malware and coming up with the genetic code for the malware, the malware genome project that DARPA funded that's now commercialized. Uh, this code, how, how do you describe looking at code? You have a really cool way to look at it and ensure that we're, we're putting together the right package. Well, first of all, we looked at the process of doing open source development and how open source packages are used together to create real software. And one of the major things we wanted to rely on here is the, all the advantages we have. Open source software is open. We can see the source code. In most cases, we can see the full development timeline, the history of that code since its inception, two different release points, to addition into package managers, et cetera. So we look back to the entire history of that source code base to understand what we call the code provenance. Where did it come from? Who are the people that worked on this together to build this project up into what it is? And we wanna rely on those data points to discern what's happening to the source code as it evolves. So is this a author that jumped in that didn't have any sort of commit history background or doesn't have any open source, other open source projects. And now they're making changes to significant elements of a package like parsers or other dependencies they're adding. Um, there's a long history here of new committers jumping in and influencing a project in a way that later leads to security consequences such as malware additions or backdoors, et cetera. And a lot of companies will put together great products or solutions using tons of open sources, and then they write their own proprietary code, which most of them are using GitHub. Is this a high-risk maneuver to use all these sources to develop your products faster? And, uh, and then even to build in GitHub, is that a place that we should worry about being under attack? I think we've, uh, we've, we've moved past the threshold where we can kind of go back and not use open source anymore. The expectations on software development and product release have gotten to the point where we're stuck. And I don't want to oversell the risk, but if we're using untrusted code from strangers, what do you think? 
Um, and that's really what open source software is. We want to hope that everyone is contributing in the best of intention, but that's not how the world works. And we know that's not how the cybersecurity world works. I'm just curious if, if can we um, grade, just like uh, the Fair Institute has a way to analyze risk and come up with numbers for the finance people to understand the cybersecurity dilemma and business risk tied into cybersecurity risk, which it's all the same nowadays. Right. Can we get um, a scoring out of Phylum? Can we say, okay, we're, our score is getting better because we just got rid of a really bad package and it was you know 10% of the source code or 2%, but it opened up serious risk. You just predicted how the pro our product works. So we look at what we call five domains of software supply chain risk, malicious code, software vulnerabilities, licenses, engineering risk, and author risk. And those five domains collect up into a package score, which is kind of like a credit score for open source packages. And this is you know, a low value of one and a high value of 100. We want to drive organizations toward using software that's closer to that 100 mark. And our entire product is built on the premise of analyzing the every bit of data we can find about these open source packages to derive conclusions about risk in each of those five domains so we can guide people to making better decisions in the packages they choose and fixing existing problems with software they're relying on from the, from the internet. That really makes uh, software uh, maturity measurable. That's the goal. It is a very difficult piece of math to try to get this exactly right, but the simplifying factor to it is a score value that gets higher, as long as you move that number higher, day over day, week over week, you are improving. And this can be done from the existing software that an organization has and they're trying to improve. And also from the developer mindset of, I'm gonna go write a brand new piece of code, a new project, I need to select some packages. If I change my thinking just a little bit and I select better packages from the outset, I change the amount of work I have to do at the end with security to fix all of the issues with these packages. And if we hearken back to a lot of the SCA products or software composition analysis, one of the plights of a modern organization is when I turn a tool like that on, it tells me I have thousands of packages that I need to go deal with. If I simply pick better packages from the start, I automatically cut that work list at the end down in massive, massive ways. So in a lot of ways, making these decisions earlier allows us to kind of maintain that relationship between security and the, and the engineering teams by understanding a bit of what they're trying to go through and helping them pick better packages to build, to build their tooling on top of. Peter, this sounds fantastic and also a significant undertaking. Are there data lakes and machine language and AI? Are you you know, learning on the fly with intelligent code or do you have human, you know, sharp, secure coder 101 experts who know what they're doing to review all this stuff? That's a great question. Uh, it is a massive undertaking, but luckily we've put together an absolutely incredible team of people. Uh, my co-founders and I have all spent our entire careers, our entire lives doing this. I started in software security, got my start when I was about eight, working on breaking video games, and uh, I got bit by the bug and never stopped since then. We have an incredible team ranging from uh, data scientists working on um, pretty incredible models to correlate author behaviors to researchers looking at the static analysis elements and trying to push forward the state of the art in static analysis at scale, dynamic analysis elements as well. These are all just, 
there's no one technique that is going to solve all of the problems for software, uh, software security or software supply chain security. We have to use each of them as best we can in the right spot to push this as far forward as possible. But it's a huge team effort. So on that note, how easy is it to deploy Phylum? And uh, are we talking a SaaS offering, a software attached to my IDE? How do we get deployed? Great question. So right now it is a SaaS offering. We have our on-prem offering coming out at the end of the year. And to get set up as an individual user, we actually just released a community edition that you can go try. Um, if you go to phylum.io, uh, there's a button to click up for the community edition. You can try out a full featured version of the product uh, yourself. It will take you about three minutes to get set up with that. To onboard a major organization, we can do that in about 10 minutes. Now, in calling it the community edition, does that also mean that you're going to crowdsource some of the best answers on, you know, the, let's say OpenSSL was just recompiled and it has a major vulnerability by accident and the developer didn't find it, but some brilliant scientists did and they want the world to know, uh, do they crowdsource that to you? How, how does that work? So we're crowdsourcing some data from, the, from users about the quality of the findings we have. Security products are always beset with the possibility of false positives. And while the majority of our domains are pretty resilient against that, false positives are not solved in entirety, especially when we talk about the software vulnerability risk domain. And we look to the understanding of the community to help us uh, tune the models that we have for identifying the value of these, these findings and second guessing some of the things we might be wrong on. And Beyond the community edition, is there a enterprise version that an SMB that's, let's say, a mid-sized bank that wanted to hire their own developers to write their own mobile app and they're grabbing every open source module they can? Or does it have to be a, you know, a critical infrastructure, really large, large uh, company? Who, who's a fit for final? We have individual contributor users on um, GitHub and GitLab that uh, tend to write a lot of open source projects that are using this. We have extremely large financials. We have extremely large tech companies and anyone in between. We tried to market this to, we tried to build the product, I should say, to the target user. That is anyone who writes software and uses open source code, especially in automation, can benefit from this. And to us, there's really not a major difference between an individual contributor user and a massive, massive organization from the domain of everyone has source code stored in version control systems like GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket, et cetera. And as they develop software, they want to run automated tests. They want to understand at speed, at the speed of development, what are the security issues that our developers are adding in? So we've built Phylum to integrate right into that pipeline and be able to comment on what's happening at the speed of development. And then to your earlier point about IDE integration, that's something that's coming up very, very soon, where we can go right back into IDE as a, as a winter and uh, give some guidance on software as it's being written. Peter, that sounds awesome. Is there any tie-in to MITRE's CWE program or MITRE attack framework, anything like that? It's a great question. Actually, one of the, our VP of product, Brad, was one of the four original authors of the MITRE attack framework. So he's been around the block for a bit too. And we had a lot of in-depth discussions about how to relate this information to something like MITRE ATT&CK. There's no part in the ATT&CK framework that actually documents supply chain security issues. 
And I'll use an example to illustrate. We rely on packages from open source authors. Open source authors release these packages into package managers and they have to identify themselves in the package manager. They use an email address to do that. So of all of the millions of open source authors, there's a percentage of them that use custom email domains. Of those custom email domains, there's a percentage of them that have expired. Meaning as an attacker, I could go re-register that domain, re-register the email address, do a password reset, and now I take over control of that package. This affects tens of thousands of authors. There's nowhere in any of the attack frameworks, there really isn't a framework for software supply chain yet. We're building one right now to try to illustrate these concepts in a different light so we can kind of show the education bits on why this is so different than some of the other domains we've seen before. Peter, this sounds fantastic. And again, is this, uh, you've got the community edition, you've got enterprise version, is this sold direct? Is it through channel? Where should our viewers and listeners go if they're interested in deploying Phylum? We're selling direct, uh, exploring some partnerships right now, but if they would love to contact us, um, they can reach out to me personally, Pete at Phylum.io or any of our sales team at uh, sales at Phylum.io. We'd love to talk to everyone. We're learning a lot from our existing customers and how to grow and solve these challenges for, for different verticals as well. What a wonderful hot seat. Folks, Peter Morgan is the president and co-founder of phylumphylum.io. If you're looking to straighten out your software supply chain, this is the way to do it. Go to their website, try out the community edition. You're going to get one step ahead of the next threat because the threats exploit the vulnerable code. And it's that simple. And this has just been a great hot seat. Peter, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Cyber Defense Radio. Stay tuned next time for another amazing and informative episode. CyberDefenseRadio.com is proudly part of the Cyber Defense Media Group, Cyber Defense where InfoSec knowledge and Cyber Defense is power. Radio have launched 24 by 7 by 365 live streams. Visit them online today at CyberDefense.tv and CyberDefense.radio. With your host and globally recognized cybersecurity expert and my good friend, Gary Malewski.